Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, if you want to open it up with me to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Actually, we'll be in Genesis chapter 5. But Genesis chapter 5. Last week, we were in Genesis chapter 4. If you aren't here, if you, if you don't know, Genesis chapter 4 is about Cain and Abel. Well, that's where it starts out, right? As the Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and the story goes to Cain, their firstborn. And you think, okay, how bad was the fall? Well, Cain murders his brother. That's how bad it was. And then Cain goes as a wanderer and kind of starts life. And then the rest of Genesis chapter 4 is kind of is the line of Cain from Adam, all his descendants. And it's just this picture of, of man's accomplishment without God. God's not mentioned at all in Cain's line. It's like, look, all the things that they've done. One of the sons built a city. There's nomadic herdsmen. There's uh, the first musician. There's people working with metals. Poetry written for the first time. All this boasting of look what you can do without God. All leading to uh, Lamech, the seventh from Cain, uh, seventh from Adam on Cain's side. And he boasts about how he killed a man, he wounded a man, and he was just boasting about, look how powerful I am. So that's Genesis 4. Genesis 4 doesn't end on a bad note, though it ends all of a sudden introducing uh, Seth's line, where Abel was killed, and then Adam and Eve came together again, and his son was born Seth. And so it's this good, godly line. And it says at that point in time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, chapter 5 just continues in great detail the line of Seth. It's the, it's the chosen line. The, the line that in the, in the future, the, who the Messiah will come from. But it, it's a genealogy. And the question is, are you, are you, you get excited for genealogies? You know, you're reading the Bible, you're like, yes, another genealogy. I'm just so excited. Uh, I can't wait to see what God has for me in it. I, I just want you to think about that for a second, because I've been studying Genesis chapter 5. I've been studying this genealogy. I'm going to unpack it with us this evening. But I was thinking, I'm like, are genealogies inspired? Because I read this in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. You would have that in your scriptures as well. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, including Genesis chapter 5. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we go through Gen Genesis chapter 5, at the end of our time together, I want you to say, at least I get it. I get why Genesis chapter 5 is where it is in Scripture, and I understand why God put it there. You might not be high-fiving me on the way out like, I love genealogies, but I want you to be saying, I get that this is why it's God's word for us uh, this evening, and this is how it fits into God's uh, perfect Scripture. So if you want to stand with me, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 5. I want you to note the patterns, and I, also, I want you to note where it changes from the past. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. 
male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalal. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalal 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalal had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalal lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May God bless his word to our souls this evening. You can have a seat. Maybe something you've never done before. Read a genealogy in its entirety in church. Genesis chapter 5. I really want to ask the question and then kind of answer this evening how to read a genealogy. That's what we're going to do. Like, how do you read a genealogy when you go through in scripture? Do you just kind of close your eyes and turn a couple more pages? Like, when does this end? Maybe sometimes you do that, but I want you to show you, if, if you actually read it, I want to show you how you should read it, what you should get out of it. Uh, but first, before we kind of answer that question, I want you to just note the structure, the structure of Genesis, the structure of this genealogy. Throughout the opening sections of the Genesis narrative, there's Genesis narrative and then genealogy. Uh, one commentator noted this. It, there's narrative, Genesis 1, verse 1, to Genesis uh, 4, verse 16. It's narrative. It's saying this is what happened. Right? Getting to Cain, wandering. And then there's genealogy, Genesis 4, 17 to 5, 32. Then there's narrative again, Genesis 6, 1 to 9, 28, the story of Noah. Then what follows that? Genealogy. Genesis 10, 1 to 32. Then what's after that? Narrative, Genesis 11, 1 to 9, the Tower of Babel. 
What follows that? Genealogy. And it's like this pattern going back and forth. You're going to see, like, why is there so much genealogy? And I, I think you're going to be able to answer that question after we're done this evening. What's so important about all these names? Also, I want to point out the Genesis chapter 5 that we're looking at. It's not just flippantly these names put together. It's names within a specific line. And I want you to notice this. Adam, or the man, occurs in total 14 times. Seven times with the. Seven times without. God occurs 14 times. Make and create together occurs seven times. It's just very clear order. God has a, a picture of what he's doing from Seth's line. And where does it end with? With Noah. So where are we going to go? We're going to start, when you're in a genealogy, you start with the first name, of course. But the reason we're starting with the first name, you've got to deal with Adam. You don't want to run past Adam, though he's kind of part of the pattern of all the names. So what happens with Adam? We'll do that first. But then also just look at, like, what's the pattern? Over and over again, it kind of says the same thing. Note the pattern. But then you want to note the exceptions to the pattern. That's the biggest thing in a genealogy. It's kind of like has this like clear line. And then all of a sudden it does something different. What is God telling us when it just kind of jets out and does something different? So I want us to note that. And then we're going to just ask, what can we learn about God and ourselves from this? And does this relate to anywhere else in the Bible? That's kind of where we're going this evening. So just start with the first name. That's the first step in understanding genealogy. Look with me, Genesis 1 to 5. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. This term generations is used over and over again in the book of Genesis. It should tell you, here's a new section that is starting. In Genesis uh, 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 6, 9, the generations of Noah. Generation, or, uh, Genesis 10, 1, the sons of Noah. Genesis eleven ten Shem. And goes on and on and on. Whenever you see the generations of, this is like a new section. It's telling you something different is happening. But here and nowhere else, it says this is the book of the generations of Noah. What's that telling us? One commentator, Sarfati, says it most likely refers to a scroll that had been originally written or a clay tablet. Maybe even Adam himself had written down uh, the generations that had uh, came after him. He lived to the seventh generation, if we do the math correctly. So there was a book that was telling about these people. Because who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses wrote it. And there was some, or some oral kind of history that was passed down to him of names what came before. I guess there was also a book. We don't have it. We don't know anything about it. But then Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took what was in this book. and took the oral history and God inspired him to write Genesis. The scripture. And so we see here, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. This is reiterating what was said in Genesis 1.27. says it a little bit differently. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but look at verse 2. Male and female, he created them, he blessed them, and he named them man. That does not seem to be politically correct. <laughs> he named them man. Why does it say he named them man? Well, because it's, it's Adam. And Adam, sometimes it's used just 
to refer to Adam, a person, one person. Other times, Adam is it's the same word for man, refers to mankind. And the reason it's Adam is emphasizing that man was made first and, and woman was made from Adam. A few translations in the English translations go, um, they say male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them human. When they were created, he made them human. But that's not true to the Hebrew. Right? So the thing is with scripture, do we want to be politically correct? Or do we want to be biblically correct? Biblically correct says he named them man when they were created. That's, that's what the Hebrew says. And so I, I would just encourage as you think about this in the days and age in which we live where it's like, you can't say that. That's not politically correct. We want to keep thinking is like, is that biblically correct? And that's, what, that's kind of the language that we really want to use. So it says, he named them man, talking about Adam. Continue on there in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. This was after Cain and Abel. I don't know. He, he might have actually had other sons and daughters before then. He had them after for sure. But this is in Seth's line, the line that the Messiah would come. And notice it says, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image. Uh, humans were still made in the image of God at that time, but they're also inheriting their nature from their parents. From Adam and Eve, this sinful nature, the natural tendency to go their own way. But how do we know this? As we read the list, as we'll see, death follows all. Everyone was born in the image and likeness of their parents with that broken, sinful nature. The wages of sin is death. But we'll see here, it says in verse 4, The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. He was fruitful and multiplied with Eve. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So how long did he live? 930 years? We'll, we'll address that. We'll think about that in a moment. That should, like, that should kind of grab your attention. That's not how long people normally live in our time. But also what should grab your attention is Adam died. Adam and Eve. Adam, the firstborn of creation. We, we, we heard his story. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. We get in greater detail in Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve eating from the tree of Genesis chapter 3. But now he dies. Again, the one who walked with God in the garden, who had fellowship with him. But he ate of the fruit he wasn't supposed to. He had one act of disobedience and is separated from God. And what did God say to him in Genesis chapter 2 about this fruit? On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Not saying like the moment you eat it, but saying the second you eat of that, death for you is certain. And God is true to his word, and Adam died. Adam died. The wages of sin is death. Adam's time under the sun was finished. Just want to highlight that for Adam. I want you now, though, to see the big picture. I want you to spot the pattern. Maybe you heard it as I read it over and over again it's kind of saying the same thing you know just look at the next verse with Seth Seth lived this long 105 years 
He fathered Enosh. This is how each one goes. You live this long, you fathered a son. And then Seth lived after he fathered Enosh, another amount, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Each one has the same pattern. Then all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Do you see? That's the pattern for each one. They lived this long, they had a son. They lived this long, they had other sons and daughters. This is the total of their life, then they died. Right? There's this like, if you were like to just give it like one, two, three, four, five. Next one. One, two, three, four. I just want you to see the pattern because all of a sudden when it says something different, it should just grab our attention. So this is the pattern that we see over and over again. What's something that sticks out to us though in that pattern is the age in which they lived. Adam, he lived 930 years. Seth lived 912 years. The list could go on and on. They lived quite long. As an understatement, right? That, that, that should grab hold of our attention. Like, what do you do with that? When you're reading in Genesis, you're just like, ah, oh, I, I don't know, that's crazy. And you just continue on. Some people have tried to explain these numbers away. And they're like, oh, no, like, it's, they didn't really mean years, they meant months. But then if you start using the months as, as a number, and you get to, uh, like, Enoch, or other people, he'd be like five years old. When he had his kid. So you're like, I, I don't think it's months. I think it's actually years. First off, this is how I arrived there. How I read that, I'm like, wow, he lived 930 years. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Because I believe it. Like, I've been reading Genesis chapter 1. And it said, God spoke the world into existence in six days. There was nothing. But God, and then all of a sudden there was something because God spoke it. There was, no, there was no sky. He made the sky. Then he put the, all the stars in the sky. There's billions and billions of stars. Like he did it in an instant. So I believe, I'm like, praise God. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. It said he, he made people to live 930 years. Like that's nothing. If I believe Genesis chapter 1. Right? All throughout the Bible, every time we read, we're forced. Do you come with faith? Do we believe what, it's, what it says? Our God is a miraculous God. And so that number shouldn't trip us up. If we come with faith. It also though, it says, in, if you'll note with me, Genesis 6.3. This is talking about the times of Noah. How bad it was getting. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. God's like, yeah, you, you, you were able to live much longer. But after this, after Noah's the flood, it's going to be 120 years. And then we see this actually in the line of, of Shem. In his genealogy, Genesis 11:10. if you just went through the years, it starts to get less and less and less. Because God has ordained that way. It starts to go down. And maybe if we're asking the question, well, how? How did God allow people to live that much longer? Just a few thoughts to that. For sure, like their genetics were pure. They got, God made Adam and Eve very good. One commentator is helpful here, Sarfati. He says this, when it comes to why we live to a certain age, reasons why living organisms deteriorate with age are not well understood. 
A factor is mutations accumulating in our cells as they divide, which makes them less fit. Furthermore, they add to the mutations we are already born with. But God created Adam and Eve with no mutations. So after the fall, they in the first few generations were born with very few mutations. Their genetics were so pure, they, they could live longer. I think they also lived in a greater uh, ecosystem, a higher amount of oxygen locked in, perfect conditions in which to live uh, before the flood. And so they're able to live longer. If you want to have a, a, a bigger answer to that, like why did humans live longer, I would, I would encourage you to talk to Vance Nelson, <laughs> who, who's here with us this evening. He spoke uh, two weeks ago. He, he uh, has spent a, a great chunk of his life defending and understanding Genesis 1 to 11, biblical creation. So a uh, great asset. So by all means, I'm kind of passing the buck in that sense. But uh, yeah, talk to Vance. I, ju I just see it. I believe it. I know, I know we should, you should question it too, though. You're like, that's a number that's not usual. It should stop us and we should try to seek to understand it. So what else do we find in, in the pattern? Well, the pattern in the genealogy, we notice that each one, they all die. Of course, there's an exception that's going to come, but they die. Death is being highlighted. The effects of the fall. Sin is being felt by each generation. Death is being part of that. Friends, I just want you to see that even in the list of the genealogy, they lived for so and so. They had sons and daughters. This is how long they lived. Then they died. The Bible consistently, and including here, highlights the limit of our lives, highlights the briefness of our time here on this earth. And I want us to take that to heart. I want us to take note of that. Our society, I think, does the opposite. Our society is like, it's all about being young. Like, forget about death. We're not looking in this direction. We're going to look back, right? Like, 30 is the new 20, and 40 is the new 30, and 50 is the new 40, and you keep going. And you're like, and you keep wanting to feel younger wherever you're getting. We want to keep looking back. In the Bible, it's like, hey, you live this long, then you die. You live this long, then you die. We're all going to die. This is part of it. We see this in the genealogy. It's almost, it's almost like reading an obituary. Like every person you read about is dead. That's what's happening in this genealogy. Except there's an exception coming. Friends, a life well lived sees death coming and finishes well. We live well knowing our time on this earth is limited. I think, I think that's true. We live well knowing our time on this earth is limited. Even as I'm reading this genealogy over and over again, done, dead, dead. We all have a time. We don't know how long we're here, but, so we should make the most of the moment that we're given in this brief moment of time that we're living. There's another other pattern we see in the genealogy. They all had other sons and daughters. They were populating the earth. They were being fruitful and multiplying. And again, you just, you see that pattern, right? They lived this long, they had a son, they lived this long, had other sons and daughters, and they died. And just on and on, you see that pattern. Now, I just want you, now we're just going to note the exceptions to that pattern that really stick out. If you're looking at that over and over again, all of a sudden there's something that does something very different. So the first, I've been hinting at along the way, because you can't not see it. Uh, 
If you look at, with me at verse 21 to 24, I see everyone died. I have to keep saying, well, that's not entirely true. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he followed Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he followed Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I love that. Like as, as you're reading the list, if you were reading that for the first time, yeah, yeah, and he died. Yeah, yeah, and he died. Yeah, he walked with God. Well, that's different. And he was not for God took him. Like what? What is going on here? If, you read, if you're reading this, this should jar you. Also want to point out, where does Enoch land in the line of Seth? So in, in Cain's line from Adam, the seventh is Lamech. In Genesis chapter 4, we see Lamech is a very boastful feather, fellow. The seventh from Adam in Seth's line is Enoch. He walked with God and he was not for God took him. There's this contrast between the seventh from Adam, Cain's line, Lamech, he's boastful. It's all about him. In Seth's line, seventh from Adam, Enoch. He walked with God. So that's also going on in this list. Victor Hamilton points out, biblical genealogists often place in the seventh position individuals who are uniquely important. So what does that say about him? He, he walked with God. Friends, I want you to note this right here. When did he walk with God? I mean, like, what was the time like in which he lived? Like, it was a good time. Like there are many faithful people in the land. No, we actually, what we see in, in Cain's story and his family, there's rebellion happening or people like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do without God. Look how great and mighty I am. And we kind of get a, a hint of what's happening. Genesis 6, 5, in the days of Noah and days of what preceded, it says this, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is the time that Enoch walked with God. When there was a great wickedness, where everyone did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Right after the wickedness within their heart. They lived like 900 years. If someone's running after wickedness, how wicked do you get 900 years doing that? This is the time that Enoch lived in. And he walked with God. I really want you to see this. Because often, I don't want you, we, we, we think if our society would just get better, if things would just change politically, economically, spiritually, and I'm like, yes, amen, I'm praying for that. I, I desire for that to happen. But we live in a morally low time, a morally bankrupt time, if you will. So did Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Enoch lived in a dark time. Things were not going well. The flood was coming, but he walked with God. And how did he do it? At the end of Genesis 4, we saw in the time of Seth's son Enosh, people began to call on the name of the Lord. I think that was passed on to Enoch. He was calling on the name of the Lord. We talked about that last week. The book of Hebrews, which should draw your attention to that, speaks of Enoch. Enoch, in Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6, it says this in this chapter that's all about faith. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he should not see death. 
and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did he please God? Because he had faith in him. Because the next verse in Hebrews, it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever, whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you want to live a godly life in the time that we live, you must do it by faith. Seeking God, believing he rewards those who seek him. Actually like praying, I'm praying to the living God, he hears me. So Enoch walked with God. There's also a mention of him or quoting him in Jude 14 to 15. I won't turn there, but it talks about how he preached judgment against the wickedness happening in his time. He was also a prophet. He was proclaiming judgment. Enoch was also doing that. But again, Enoch walked with God. Another one big thing that sticks out about his life is what? He didn't die. Like, where did he go? He was not, God took him. He went to the same place the people on the cross went. Right? In Luke's gospel, there's this two thieves. The one's like, hey, he believes in Jesus. Where, where, where did he go? Jesus like, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He's with God. So Enoch was taken. He never died. There's only one other person who this was said about in the Bible. Can anyone just yell it out? Bible Trivia 101. Elijah, I should have waited. There's more Elijah's come. Absolutely, Elijah. I just want to draw your attention to that. 2 Kings uh, 2, verse 11. And, and God in His divine providence had the guy who followed Elijah called Elisha. Just, I don't know. Just to twist their tongues a little bit. But just the story of that in, in 2 Kings 2, 11, it says this about Elijah. He's with Elisha. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, the only two in the Bible who are taken before death. And the reason I'm also just pointing out Elijah is not so you can win Bible trivia games, but I want you to also know what was the time like in Elijah's time. It was a spiritually low time. It was a time when like all the Israelites were bowing down to idols, worshiping Baal. And Elijah thought, he's like, I'm the only one who's following God. God's like, actually, I have some more people. It was a low time. Elijah, in that time, walked with God. When there are few people following. I want you to see that. And then Enoch walked with God when the spiritual temperature was low. They're almost like, I don't know, have you ever been like a real cold room? And everyone's kind of feeling cold. And that one person, who's like, I'm really warm. And somehow they can like self-regulate their temperature. I'm not talking about like menopause or anything. <laughs> but, but it seems like, like Enoch, like Elijah, it's like a spiritually dark and dreary time, yet they walked with God. Everyone's going in this direction, doing whatever their wicked heart wants to do. Enoch's going this way, he's walking with God. That's what just made me, you know, like just... Not following wherever people are going, but following God. Alan Ross says this, Enoch walked with God because he was his friend and liked his company. Because he was going in the same direction as God and had no desire for anything but what lay in God's path. To walk with God is to live a life in obedience and fellowship with God. Enoch walked with God, he did it by faith. He believed in Him, he prayed to Him, he worshipped Him, he walked in His ways. 
I just want to think for a moment, what about us? How do we walk with God? First off, you need to be on His team. And it's more I'm, this analogy I'm about to give you. That's what I'm saying. It's need to be on His team. There's a soccer game going on in here beforehand. It was getting a little chippy. But not like the analogy I want to give you. I would love one day to go to a soccer game in Europe. Like go to the soccer game where like there's two sides of the field. And when you go on this side, like you better have the right jersey on. Right? Have you ever seen like pictures of that or videos that gets really rowdy? You better be on the right side of the field. Imagine if you go onto that side and like you're wearing that team's colors and you sit down. It's not going to go so well. Friends, that's like all of us in our sin. If we were to think about it in terms of jerseys, we all have this. The jersey like sinner, rebellion against God, whatever I want, whenever I want. We're against God. We're on the wrong side of the field. We go to try to sit with God. Sinner. We stick out. But the beauty of the cross, right? Jesus took, it says, our jersey, our sins and our shame upon himself nailed to the cross. He took his jersey off, his perfect righteousness, and gave it to us. That's the You've got to be on his team. You want to walk with God. And we talked about what that looks like last week. To change jerseys is call upon the name of the Lord. It's repentance and faith. Repenting of your sins like, yeah, I'm totally on the wrong team. I'm looking to Jesus and what He has done. I'm believing in Him. I'm trusting He died for me. And then we get credit with His righteousness. You're going to be on the right team. This is how you walk with God. You need to be on God's team. Secondly, you need to walk out your faith in Him, with Him, by Him. Bring your attention to Colossians 2, 6-7. It says this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. That's the thing. You walk out your faith in Christ, with Christ, by Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It is all Him. Ephesians 5, 8 to 10 says something very similar. It says, At one time you were darkness. Think of being on the opposite team. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk out your faith in Christ. In Him, with Him, and by Him. Thirdly, Walk with God and invite Him into all places. Like include Him in every part of your life. Even as I was walking this afternoon to go get some more cough drops, and as I was walking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, God, you're walking with me right now. Just start, you know, talking with Him. It's not that you're always talking to Him, but you're inviting Him. Invite Him into your work. Invite Him into your hopes and your dreams. Invite Him when you sit down to watch something. Invite him into your conversation. <laughs> Everywhere. Friends, uh, I don't know about you, but when you have people over to your house, do you sometimes quickly clean up before they come? I may be the only one. Sometimes like, oh, so-and-so is coming over. I'm like quickly cleaning the floor and, and just, we have kids. It's the kids' fault that's messy. I'm joking. It's not true. It's, okay, I'm good. 
<laughs> but also often, like we're having coming over, and that's okay, so we clean up. But the friends, I want you to hear this. Walking with God, inviting him into everything, you don't clean up everything before you invite God in. You invite God in, and he helps you clean up. You invite God into, like, man, in, 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 yeah, in my thoughts. Oh, Lord, there's some that are not good. Help me change it. Invite him into my conversation. Sometimes my tongue slips. Lord, forgive me for that. That's, that's the beauty of walking with God. We invite him into our mess. And he helps us clean it up, walk through it. And lastly, I just want you to see, walk with God in good seasons and bad. We have Enoch. We have Elijah. They, those were not like spiritually high times, spiritually low times. Friends, we don't wait for a, a friendly culture to God in order to walk with God. These are the times that we're in. We're praying for a different time and a different season. But this is our season to be Christians. Enoch did it. He walked with God in the wicked times that led up to Noah and the flood. Elijah did it. And that's a call for us to do too, to walk with God. Whatever this season is, culturally. Whatever is happening in our society. Also, just want you to notice, going back there to Genesis, this is just an interesting thing. Genesis uh, 5.21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And then Enoch lived 365 years, and Methuselah lived 969 years. The commentator says this, we have here the intriguing situation of the father who does not die, and the son who lives the longest of any human being. And we have the person in Genesis 5 living on earth the shortest and following the person who in Genesis 5 lives the longest on earth. I just thought that was neat to share with you. Don't expect when you're reading that to like, oh yeah. What, what else? If we note the pattern, what else sticks out? One thing I just want you to see is Lamech talks. Nobody else talks, right? So-and-so had a son. He lived this long. He had other sons and daughters. He died. Lamech has something to say no one else does. And what does Lamech say? He actually, he calls his son Noah saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So I think it's interesting what Lamech's saying. He's like putting his hope in Noah. Noah's going to bring relief from this curse. I don't think he was exactly right. I think the ground, what was going to happen with Noah, the ground was going to be given rest. But the one to give humanity rest was still to come. And then lastly, I want you to see another kind of exception to this pattern is, is what is Noah? Look at verse 29. So he's called Noah. And 30, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. 32, 32, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jatham. It's not that he had triplets, he just had it after 500 years apparently. But what, what else do we not see there? It doesn't say anything about his death. It's like the, the genealogies, starting with Adam, is getting us to Noah. Because what happens after the story is about Noah. The story is all about Noah, and it's not till Genesis 9... The end of Genesis 9, verse 28 to 29, that kind of completes his story. And it says, After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. 
All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So just notice that that's something different happening in the genealogy. They're not following the regular pattern. Whenever that happens, we ask, why is that happening? I want you to also just show you this. If you look at the, the list of names, this is something I think that's pretty cool. Some commentators point this out. Others translate the names differently. Some commentators see in this list of names a gospel message. Translated like this. This one, one guy, Andy McIntosh, points and I've heard other people say it. Thus the names put together testifies to God's grace in sending his son. And if you would go like Adam, man, Seth, appointed. Man is appointed mortal sorrow using each of their names. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. If you take each of their names going down, it seems like there's this gospel message saying, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. That's, that's amazing. I think if that's happening in the Hebrew, I, I think it is. I'm not pressing it too hard. But here's something else I also want you to point out. Methuselah, who lives the longest. And how long does he live? He lives 900 and 69 years. You know what Methuselah's name means, even in that translation? It means, when he dies, it shall be sent. Who, who named Methuselah? Enoch. The man who walked with God. When he dies, it shall be sent. And, and when did he, Methuselah die? If, we, if you did the math, and you start to like, he lived this long, and he died just before the flood. The same year as the flood. When he dies, it shall be sent. Isn't that just amazing that that's how God works? That's how intricate he is with details? I, I just think that's fantastic. So I just, I just wanted to point that out to you. So just reading a genealogy, like what can you learn about God and yourself? And don't imagine every genealogy you're going to get to, you're just going to like pour through and like, you know, meditate, study, Bible, open. But I think this one has a lot for us to teach us. What can you learn about God and yourself? God's powerful. People live over 900 years. That's because God's powerful. And there's other you know, ways to explain it, the state of the earth, the genetics, but ultimately just God is powerful. I hope you see in that list of names, is not our God a God of details. With names, with like Meshushala, when he dies, it shall be sent. And as we see God as such a God of details in Genesis 5, is he not a God of details in our lives? Do we not see that he's in control? He starts with Adam coming to Noah. He's bringing his plans and purposes forward. That's what God does. That's what he does in our lives. He brings his plans and purposes forward. In the times that we live in, and I just hope you also saw, as I highlighted, everyone died, except Enoch. We're going to die. Make your life count, even within the genealogy. And then lastly, walk with God, like Enoch. He lived in a dark time, a low time spiritually. As he walked with God, so we can walk with God by faith. We can invite God to every area of our lives. So just a, a question. I got kind of one more point I want to bring to you. Do genealogies matter? Do genealogies matter? Like they're all throughout the Old Testament. As, as you're reading, and sometimes there's like lots. There's like, there's priests, there's tribes. How many numbers there are. 
Often though it's kings following the line of kings, the descendants. Like why is there so many genealogies? It doesn't matter where people came from. But primarily I want you to see why there's so many genealogies is because there is the line of the Messiah. Right in Genesis 3.15, this promise that's made to the snake. That one, someone from Eve is going to crush your head. Or he's going to stomp upon you. And so Eve is like, who is it going to be? And it's kind of like this prophecy that happens and it's like, we're not quite sure. And more and more things kind of keep getting added to that. Okay, who's the snake crusher going to be? Oh, it seems like he's going to come from Judah. From the line of Judah. So you find genealogies. Seems like he's going to come from David, from the line of David. We keep following the genealogies on and on into the New Testament. So I want you to, and as you read a genealogy, just ask yourself, does this relate to anywhere else in the Bible? And that's what I want to bring your attention to kind of in closing. So Genesis 5.1 says this to begin with. This is the book of the generations of Adam. This is the book of the generations of Adam. How does Matthew begin his gospel? The New Testament. Matthew 1 verse 1, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In, in, if you have them both in Greek, it's like the same phrase. The book of the genealogy of generations of Adam. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Genealogy. This is, this is how it starts. You're like, man, genealogies must matter. Like, why is Matthew beginning his, his book in this way? And you know where else we see these names in Genesis 5 repeated? Other than 1 Chronicles. You just turn with me to Luke 3.23. Luke also has a genealogy in his Bible. Luke 3.23 Luke, in Luke's genealogy, he begins with Jesus and then kind of moves backwards. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as opposed to Joseph, the son of Eli. I'm not going to read all those names, but jumping to verse 36, the middle, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the Son of God. The same names are found there. Our genealogy is important. Yes, because they trace the line of the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus, the Holy One of God. Think that this is why these names are important. This is, they're moving this, this story forward. One is going to come. He's going to be the Holy Righteous One. Matthew wants us to see that. Luke wants us to see that. They tell the story of God's faithfulness and bring about the one who ultimately fulfilled Lamech's word about Noah. He said, out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. No, it wasn't in Noah, it was in Jesus Christ. I also just want you to point out genealogies matter. After this in the New Testament, there's not another genealogy. All throughout the Old Testament and over and over again, there's these lists of names. You start in Matthew 1, 1, there's a genealogy. You go to Luke's description of Jesus, here's a genealogy. What is it telling us? It's pointing us to Jesus Christ. After Jesus Christ, there's no genealogies. Why? Because Jesus had no sons. He died on a cross, was buried, rose again from the grave. 
Jesus has no sons and daughters physically. He does spiritually. I just want you to see that he does not have sons, but he has followers. That's the reason genealogies matter is because they're pointing towards Christ. And it's ultimately fulfilled in him. And after he fulfills it, you don't see it again. That's the amazing thing. That's what we're seeing in Genesis 5. That's why those names are important. Because they're pointing towards Jesus, the one to come. And he is the one that has come. And those who walk with him through faith, followers of him, be spiritually sons and daughters of God. I wonder, do you walk with God? Is this your story? If you'll bow with me, I'd like to close this time in prayer. Oh God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how amazing the details are of it. Lord, how you can even teach us uh, this much through your genealogy. Lord, I, I praise you. Lord Jesus, I'm so, so thankful that we're on this side, the side of, of the resurrection. I pray, Lord, uh, that which is from you, from this word, you'd seal in our hearts. I pray by your spirit, you would help us to walk with you in the days and age in which we live. Help us to live godly lives, not be so influenced and changed by this world, but to be changed by you walk a different course or we saw how Enoch did that with you and we have your spirit I pray you'd help us do the same in our time for your glory in Jesus name Amen if you guys would like to stand and uh, we will Respond in song.